Hey, hello, and welcome to the Town Hall Academy, the aftermarket's original weekly single-topic summit for the forever automotive aftermarket student. This is Academy Episode 160 and the second Shop Owner Forum. It's like an Ask the Shop Owner format with questions from our audience. You think about this, if your uh, shop is getting a text message after hours, is your system messaging the customer back that we're closed now, but somebody will get a hold of you as soon as possible? Is communication lines staying open that way with clients, even when you're closed and somebody's not behind the computer for you? Welcome, automotive aftermarketers, to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey, Carm Capriato, the Automotive Aftermarket Podcast Guy. Welcome to a wide open shop owner forum with no specific topic, but questions from the industry. Hey, give me a moment to talk SMS systems, shop management systems. You know, now just may be the time to transform your shop. Break away from your legacy SMS and embrace Shopware shop management system. Shopware can show you the way to increase profits from happier customers. Nothing like a happy customer and a more efficient staff. Visit shop-ware.com, shop-ware.com slash demo and get a free preview. Hey, do you know someone who is struggling to grow a great automotive service business? I bet you do. Please put them in touch with this podcast. Now, I know they'll thank you as they find a treasure of insights, ideas, and best practices that they can use to make some bold decisions in turning around their business. It's like their own private networking session. Send them to remarkableresults.biz slash listen or just share this episode. Joining me in this special format, shop owner forum part two it's kind of like an ask the shop owner is marianne croce from croce transmissions in norwalk connecticut and smallbizvantage.com andy bizab is here from midwest performance cars a multi-shop owner from chicago and tony tadich tmt complete auto service center a multi-shop owner from bremen indiana find the key talking points my guests bios and links to their previous episodes at remarkableresultsbiz slash a160 yes talking points everything that's important that our team talks about they're written for you already on the show notes page my team answered questions that included what were their sources for new customers aro growth time hacks loaner cars adding a branch store, paying for technician training, and employee engagement, among others. Now, there's so much to learn in this episode, so much to learn on the podcasts. So find time to listen, no matter where you are with free subscriptions on your mobile device. Go to my listen page on RemarkableResults.biz website for links and instructions to get mobilized. Be sure you subscribe to the Town Hall Academy podcast so you never miss an episode. with us today. Ladies first, Mary Ann Croce from Croce Transmissions in Norwalk, Connecticut, and from smallbizvantage.com. She's got a great consulting company. Good to have you, Mary Ann. Thank you. Consulting and coaching and uh, training, a lot of good stuff. Uh, Andy Bizza, Midwest Performance Cars in Chicago, two locations. Hey, Andy. Hey, good to be here. Thanks for being here, man. And Tony Tadge from TMT Complete Auto Service Center in Bremen, Indiana, with two shops. 
Yes, sir, Garm. How are you doing today? Damn, guys, this looks like the trend. <laughs> Add to the pleasure, right? Guys and lady, uh, let me throw this first question out. We did get question at remarkableresults.biz. We did get some questions that came in through email, which for all of these shows that we do, it's easy to submit. Question at remarkableresults.biz. Here's my first question to all of you, and we'll see where this goes. Where are you getting new customers? What sourcing are you getting new customers, Marianne? We do a lot of different types of work in our shop. Our customer base is divided, uh, split up because we are a transmission shop. So that is our specialty. So we do have uh, retail customers. We have uh, customers that are small business owners like ourselves. They have small fleets. We also have and do work for general repair shops that don't do transmission work in-house. And we do work for dealerships as well. So getting new customers is kind of a big question. Most of it, I would say, is building relationships, really getting clear on building those relationships in all those different sectors, so getting out into the community. But when you break it down from a marketing perspective, we do advertising, we do you know Google AdWords, we advertise, we go in and do a lot with social media. We're very involved in the community and local businesses, so we get our name out there quite a bit. From, from different streams, different platforms. So there is paid and there is organic. And then I would say the relationships is huge because once you start building those relationships within your community, people start referring you and talking about you and that's how you build the trust. And once you build that trust, I find it easier to find new customers. Good answer. Thanks. I want to comment on a uh, something from the Zoom webinar chat. It's from Bambi Crozier. We get new clients from Facebook groups lately. And she goes on to say, this is growing our business wildly. We created our own Facebook group and are getting folks joining that. So there's another tactic, if you will. Tony, how about you? We're still old school. Still do a lot of uh, mailers and and a lot of new customer acquisition through mail, uh, through uh, Mudlake or Upswell, as they have now changed their name to, um, and and do a lot of stuff that way. Um, still do some old school stuff like birthday mailers, uh, new mover acquisitions, stuff like that. Do you um, track it? Yes, we do track it. We we get them back and we um, track it in house organically uh, that way. Um, obviously, the relationship and everything that Marianne just uh, talked about is is huge. Also, you got to do something different, and you have to you have to bring your tangibles out uh, that make you different than the person uh, next door to you um, to be able to build that relationship with that customer and get them to come back for the second, third, and fourth time. Excellent, Andy. How about you? So we do a lot of a lot of posting on uh, Google My Business. Um, our Google search results, organic search results, are, are excellent for both shops, and it's really it's it's been very easy to do. I've been able to cut our all our all our pay per click advertising down to almost nothing um, because Google is just a a junkie for content. If you can have fresh content continually uploading into your Google My Business profile. They, they weigh very heavily on that for, for online ranking. We also do some direct mail. Um, uh, we support, like we do a lot of European and we, we're about 50% Porsche in our downtown facility. So we advertise in the local Porsche Club magazine. 
Um, so I try to really sprinkle the infield, uh, not concentrate a, a whole bunch of money in any one channel, um, because you're always you're not necessarily going to reach people at the very time they need service. But if they can see if they can see you repeatedly wherever they're looking, or see you in more than one venue, so they see you online and they see you in a magazine or and get a mailer. It's I think it's very reinforcing. And then when they when they see actual content, when my my service writers they'll they'll email me three to five ROs per week with pictures and descriptions of the work that we're doing, and I'll just write up these little posts for Google My Business for both shops. It goes out automatically three to four posts per week. It just it keeps the, the content loaded up there. I mean, there's the uh, there's the definition of organic right there. Yeah, right. We do something similar free. to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you're you're right. It is free. Um, Tony, in the second shop, any specialty or is it the same all makes all models? Same all makes all models. No specialty. Okay. Did you ever think that through? I did give some thought to that. However, I didn't want to niche myself in that market. Um, that market is very, very close to Notre Dame University and is in a higher uh, echelon uh, area, a higher uh, demo for, for our area as far as uh, household income goes and everything. And I did not want to uh, niche myself down that way. Andy, did you repeat the, the Porsche work at the second store? Yes. Yeah, so with our Google My Business posts, I will I will duplicate them for both shops, but it, then I'll have a booking link in that post, and one link will go to one shop, one link will go to the other. Okay, so if you get a Porsche at the second store, they're actually bringing it to the first for repairs. No, they both they they both do they both work on they're both primarily European. Um, the the suburban shop does newer, usually seven years in newer cars. The downtown shop we do all the way back into the 60s. So. Okay, got it. Uh, and Tony, take me into a meeting that you had with your dad. <laughs> you sure you want to go there? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. Mike, his, his dad is Mike, been on the show before. Great guy. He's actually a John Maxwell leadership coach, too. Uh, and you, you said, you got together and says, hey, let's do a second store. And you looked at each other and you say, but we got to get bigger. And so let's start growing. Did that happen at that meeting or was it just, let's just put up a second store? No, we studied putting up a second store for almost three years of how we were going to do it, what our demographic was going to be, what our market was going to be. We drove around uh, location hunting for probably a year. Um, the location that we had first identified to buy, we were going to actually go look at and deal on and everything. We're on our way driving there. We get a phone call that it uh, sold uh, that evening, all cash, quick close. Uh, so we no longer had a facility um, about three weeks later. I uh, found a second facility uh, through a f close friend uh, at church, actually, um, that wasn't for sale. And that's the facility that we ended up buying. So once so. you committed, it, it kind of fell into place. Uh, maybe yep. lucky you or the fact that you, you, you knew you were open for growth. Uh, back to a little part of my question that I didn't state well. Is, are you stopping it too or are you going to become a regional operator? No, we do have goals to get to five. Um, so the goal is to get to five, hopefully within the next uh, two to three years. But if it takes less time than that, great. If it takes longer time than that, then so be it too. Why so. do I keep hearing that? Yeah, I want to have five stores so that I'm more attractive to a regional consolidator. I mean, do I? 
Am I dreaming that or am I really hearing that, Andy? No, you're absolutely hearing that. Um, although I will say, you know, uh, Carl Icahn has been the big roll-up guy with Pep Boys. And uh, he, he has bought operations as small as two and three stores. Uh, he just bought a six six store operation, I believe, out on the East Coast. Um, but if if you're a well run operation, I think two or three. Uh, if you if you want to, if that's your target, if that's your exit strategy to get bought out, I think two or three is uh, is adequate. Cool. I have a great friend who sold to Carl Icahn, and his place now is a Pep Boys. Yeah. Uh, hey team, um, a time management hack. Get off of Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Greg. (laughs) So a a really good time management hack is for you to go into your calendar because we all have our devices. So if you were to go into your calendar and you were to just open it up and look at your schedule, you will see where you're spending most of your time, what you're doing. It's, it, it really is an eye opener. And what are the things that you, you know, should be focusing on? So instead of trying to manage time, I look at it more as managing my activities. So what are the things that I need to get done? And I started with the two businesses because I'm not in the shop every day anymore. With the two businesses, I found it really helpful and much more productive instead of wearing that busy hat because we hear everyone say, I'm so busy. I'm always so busy. But yeah, are you productive? <laughs> At the end of the day, did you get everything done that you wanted to get done? So what I find is if you categorize things into um, kind of theme days and you know, Mondays is what I'm going to focus on. This is what I'm going to focus on. And I'm going to do these activities. And that becomes a habit. So if you know, Monday today that you're going to focus on marketing or you're going to focus on certain things with both of these gentlemen on one particular shop. That's your focus. And you'll find that you're managing those activities so much better. I or work with clients on certain days. And that way I know um, it make the most of my, my time and I'm able to get through my activities. Absolutely. Manage your tasks. And it sounds, this sounds really simple and really dumb, but at night, I will send myself a text message and not open it. So I send it and get off the message screen right away of, of some tasks list I, I want to do tomorrow so that in the morning, I can't avoid not seeing that list. And boy, if you can go in and just tackle that task list, all of a sudden you realize it's 11 o'clock in the morning. I whacked off six of these tasks. I, I got them done. I feel fantastic because I actually accomplished something today. and. It's eleven in the morning. I've, I have the bulk of the day still left. So and that absolutely, that, Marianne. Yeah. The key to that is you're actually planning your day the night before. That's right. gold. I sit right. down and do that as well, and it saves a lot, a, a lot of time, a lot of interruptions that would typically happen maybe in the morning because you have focus now. Absolutely. I think of the Ed Milet strategy, which is condensing multiple work days into one. So everybody's got 24 mm-hmm. hours in a day. If you can take and you can condense one four-hour brick of time into one work day and the next four hours of brick of time into another work day, and you can then accomplish multiple work days within one work day, I think that's the best way that I've found to accomplish a lot in a small period of time. I mean, I just think of the word compression. I mean, give me an idea how your strategy works. 
So a lot of times what I'll do is, is I'll say, okay, from 7 a.m. to 11, this is the brick that I'm going to task here. Then from 11 to 1, I'm going to work with service advisors. And then from 1 to 3, I'm going to work on store 2 and I'll have tasks for each one. I think the big thing for a lot of people too is also going back and crossing out what you actually accomplished. So you feel a sense of accomplishment once you actually complete something. Because if you don't, feel completed, you're never going to really have closure uh, moving on to the next block of time. I have to share something. Uh, you know, I told everybody I kind of went to get recharged. I went off the grid 95% of the time, went on a cruise, uh, I think it's now a week and a half ago. And I come back full of energy, you know, having been rested up. And I took my yellow pad, Tony, and I wrote down all these catch-up tasks, the things that I had to do. There's a lot going on in the world of with me and podcasting and travel and, and panels and stuff. And I wrote them all down. And by the end of that day, there were like 20 items that I knew I had to do. It was crunch time. And I think I got 15 of them done. And and so all I want to say is you don't have to take a vacation to really be a, a workhorse, but you have to have recharge time. And I think the weekends for us is what that needs to be. We need to figure out, like Greg says, go to Mulroney's and have a bourbon and, you know, just do something different and and recharge, spend time with the family, the grandkids. We do throw ourselves in our business. Am I right? I mean, we throw we throw ourselves in so deep that sometimes the time crunch and the energy crunch just comes because we we aren't we aren't coming above water at all. Very much so. Yeah, it's good to remember that the business. This helped me even in the early days. The business should be part of our life, but it shouldn't be our whole life. Hey, Carm here, and I bet you think of your shop management system every day and wonder if it's time to make an important change, a change to a modern, efficient, and powerful system. Now, instead of thinking about your old system, I want you to consider Shopware, a comprehensive cloud-powered shop management system that gives your customers an end-to-end digital experience that will help you sell more services while making your customers happier. And who doesn't want happier customers? In a study of work orders written and shared on Shopware, sharing the digital work order with your customer generated a 12% increase in their likelihood to buy. Now, that translates to additional sales in your business. And with Shopware's proprietary parts GP optimizer, you can boost your parts margin with the click of a button and leave behind the pain of managing an old parts matrix. Put solid gross margin dollars back in your business because Shopware puts huge computing power into making you successful. Now it's time. Make the switch to Shopware. Get a free live demonstration at shop-ware.com and find out how you can make more money from happier customers. Tactics, everyone, for increasing average repair order. Just maybe one or two quickies. Any ideas, Tony? I always go back to the smalls. So how much is your team uh, going in and talking about light bulbs, air filters, cabin filters? Are you guys checking everything properly on every single inspection as far as technicians go? Um, are you following the 300% rule? Uh, 100% inspected, 100% uh, talked about and quote or quoted, and then 100% talked to the client about. And then do you follow the 400% rule, which adds the percent of 100% of follow-up? Um 
you know, I think a lot of the, the details and average repair orders are built up by 50, 60, $70 add-ons, not big, big jobs uh, to be able to get your ARO up. Um, how many times are you offering balancing with a tire rotation? How many times are you offering a lifetime version of an alignment? Or do you have uh, lifetime versions of, of parts warranties and things like that, so on and so forth that will increase ARO? You're really saying we have to be thorough and or complete in everything that we do. It, it, we cannot ignore the fact that our customers are relying on us to do a full, go back to the medical term, blood test on this car. Yep, exactly. I, I look at and I think about, you know, even looking for shops and stuff. If, if I'm looking for a shop to buy right now, the most ideal shop to buy is a shop that's got a low ARO and high car count. Cause I know I can take that shop shop and I can double it like that. And, you know, we were able with that, with this store that we have to take it from a $200 average repair order to a $540 average repair order within the first year by basically duplicating our inspection process and just talking to people about what their car needs in, in, you know, having a, a basic understanding of, of what our clientele wanted. Andy, is it a factor for you with the high end, uh, Euro style cars to worry about ARO? Um, well, our, our ARO is abnormally high. We're like in the mid 900s. Um, but we, we look, of course, it all starts with really thorough inspections. But we also look at it as we're taking responsibility for the maintenance of that vehicle. The customer doesn't know enough about their vehicles. Even, even people who are enthusiasts about their vehicles don't actually know enough about all the maintenance needed, the scheduled maintenance, the preventative maintenance. So we look at it as we're kind of holistically taking responsibility for maintaining their vehicle. And we present them with, here's, here's your plan for, you know, here's, here's the things that you have to have. Here's the things that you're going to keep an eye on. You don't need them right now. Here's the things you don't have to worry about. So we're not like trying to overload people with work to be done, but we do give them a, a kind of a, an end-to-end view of where their vehicle is and what their vehicle is going to be needing now and in the, in the future. So it's, you know, a good inspection. And then, and to me, it really is, it's, it's be responsible for your customer's vehicle maintenance because they're, they're probably not going to be. Our approach is very similar to Andy's. Because we're doing uh, transmission work, we do have a higher a- average RO, but we take a very holistic approach as well as understanding what the customer you know wants to do with a car, what's their goal with that vehicle, and what their needs are. Especially with some of the small businesses that we're helping out as well, you know they may have a few trucks on the road. So the idea is to work with them. But everyone on our team understands that we have a responsibility to that customer, that client, to inform them of everything that is on, everything that's going on with their vehicle. That's our job. And that's our, whether they want to hear it or not, right, is a different story. <clears throat> but, but I think the important part is, um, it, you know, if you were going into a, a doctor and it, you were getting medical tests done, and if that doctor decided, well, I think you know, Mr. So-and-so may get upset if I would, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to tell them all this information. 
you have a right to that information. That's the way we look at that. And then it's up to you to make that decision. You're so right, Marianne. In fact, Bambi Crozier just echoed exactly what you said. She had written, yes, 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 you're going to the doctor. They check your blood pressure, your weight, your height. We do the same thing. We're going to tell you what you need to keep you running a long time. You decide what to do. They have no clue. They expect us to tell them everything. So I'm, I'm doing an interview with Tom Palermo the other day, Tuesday, we're, we're done with it, and we started to chat about stuff, and I couldn't help but getting into the doctor mode. I don't know why uh, we seem to talk about the, the comparative to what we do to doctoring, and uh, it seems like the doctors will say, hey, listen, if anything comes up, Marianne, just call me, just let me know, just call the staff, we'll call you back, we'll figure out if it's working and if it's not or anything. You got a pain here. And so we were chatting about that and I said, how are we, re- how are we telling our customer that same story? And do we have the comments on our invoice? Do we have the sign up on the counter? Do we have uh, the banner up on the wall that says, call us for anything, for any noise, for any concern you may have, for a bump in the night that your car thinks it made and anything? What are, what are you doing? Uh, to communicate, to tell your customers that we are totally here for you. Now, think of the strategy behind that marketing concept. This is the place where you come, okay? Uh, th- this is this is your home. This is your trust headquarters for your vehicle reliability. What are we doing at the end of that sale to say, as, as Mrs. Smith is walking out that door, don't forget anything, anything you call us. Are we doing enough of that? I don't think you can never not do enough of that. So I think a lot of us are doing that with the fact that we now are able to be texted and emailed and call forwarding and, and all of that type of stuff. I know at our shops, we will a lot of times leave a loaner car out uh, over the weekend at times to where the keys will be hidden somewhere to where a customer could pick up a loaner car over the weekend if they break down and somebody's not able to go to the shop and, and pick them up. Um, you know, I think. I think we are in an industry that is a need it now industry. If somebody hears their brakes squeaking, rattling, making noise, no matter if we're open, closed or not, we have to be open in some way, shape or form to be able to help and assist that customer. And I think, uh, you know, you think about this, if your uh, shop is getting a text message after hours, is your system messaging the customer back that we're closed now, but somebody will get a hold of you as soon as possible? Is it is communication line staying open that way with clients, even when you're closed and somebody's not behind the computer for you? Yeah, very good point. Um, we do have it set up so that if people are messaging us, those messages are answered on the weekend because we are open uh, Monday through Friday. So we're closed on the weekend. And, and People are very surprised. We've even had people schedule an appointment on a Sunday. And if they had a question, they called and they were shocked that they were able to do that and you know got a response. So it gave them peace of mind, which I think is very important. And it also um, builds trust. What we also do is at the counter, we let everyone know uh, they're trained that if you have any questions when we, you know, they come in, they pick up their vehicle, pay for their vehicle contact us. We're here to help you. I think, and then also with the transmission side of it, it's an, it's a extensive repair. It's a major repair in a lot of cases. So we do uh, give people a form that they read. It goes with the repair and all their paperwork. And we do a two-week courtesy recheck 
So they come back in, we ask how the vehicle's been running for them, and we give them a bunch of different things. You know, if this or this should happen, here's what you do, contact us. And it's kind of like, I'm going to go back to the medical analogy, but if you had a procedure done and the doctor said to you, um, okay, so here's what might happen. You may get a little swelling, you know, you put ice on it, this and that. If it should happen in the middle of the night, you're calm about it. But if that same thing happened in the middle of the night and you weren't prepared for it, it would be, oh my gosh, what do I do? Did something go wrong? I'm doubting the surgeon or I'm doubting the procedure. And I think that can happen with customers as well. So to walk them through that process to what both gentlemen had said, they're not, this isn't what they do every day. They don't know. So we're the ones that need to be there to walk them through the steps, walk them through the process. And I think we do if we do it in a very matter-of-a-fact way, that's where we can build that confidence and that trust. Marianne Croce is with us from Croce Transmissions in Norwalk, Connecticut, and smallbizvantage.com. Andy Bizzub's here from Midwest Performance Cars in Chicago, a two-shop owner. And Tony Tadich from TMT Complete Auto Service Center in Bremen, Indiana, two, two shop owners. To Tony's point just a moment ago, we're a need it now, got to have it fixed now. And if, if we hadn't, if we don't have the relationship built, if we don't have the communication venues open, there's too many big box stores that people drive by that say, come here, we'll fix it now. So I think it's critical and, and extremely important to, uh, to, to have that relationship with your customer. And it, it, let me ask you this question. Is it, is it hard to build that level of relationship and uh, two-way communication, Andy? You, you really have to have a, a, a crew that is very engaged and invested in just not in the business of the shop, but you got to realize the business of the shop is not, the primary business of the shop is not fixing cars. It's what we do. The primary business of a shop is having that relationship with your client. So, so when you when you can get your your crew to be very engaged in that respect of that's what they're doing is their their primary thing is making this connection with the client, and as a result of that, your car will be fully taken care of. Um, that solves a lot of those problems. Um, now it's, it's funny because we just at our, both of our shops, we just did an, an a employee engagement survey with our whole crew from techs to service advisors, service manager to porters. And, uh, and it came back really, really great. The only place where we were, we found lacking was in intercommunication within the shop. And it was funny because my service manager at the main shop downtown, before the survey results came back, he said, I, I think we're going to be a little bit weak on like, you know, internal padding on the back or congratulations and stuff. And sure enough, that's exactly the way it came back. So we had, a, so after this engagement survey, we had a Zoom meeting between both shops and we all got them on, on board. And, uh, and, and I said, the, the great thing about this, the survey is that you guys are all extremely engaged and and the good thing about our weak points is that they're really easy to address so we we need to focus on communication within our organization a little bit better than we already do but having that engagement in the, in the enterprise it it naturally follows through to now you are going to really 
be looking out for that customer. And whether it, whether it's fixing their car or fixing their plumbing or fixing their electric or you know taking care of their medical issues, if 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 you have an engaged crew, it 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 naturally just just solves a lot of those problems. Bambi mentioned the fact that she loves Tony. Your idea of the loaner car for the weekend. Could you just share with us exactly how it works? Do you have the lockbox on the outside? I have the lockbox on the outside, and most of the time, uh, if if it's not in Indiana, which it hasn't this year, been uh, snowing and icing and and blizzards and everything like it can at times. So we'll leave a car out at times and and tuck uh, keys into one lockbox and just leave a code uh, that way to where we can give the customer the code, access code to be able to get the keys out and take that loaner vehicle. Only one loaner vehicle that you expose on the weekend. Most of the time. So I, I've not really ever ran in a situation where I've needed two or three loaner cars where I live. Um, obviously, there's bigger shops and more metro areas. So. Got it. And, and you would text the customer and say, hey, here's the code. Uh, go get yep. go get the car. Yep. How cool is that? So you, not only do you, do you use the lockbox for after hours pickup too? Yes. Yep. Do you have text to pay? Uh, we do not have text to pay yet. That is something that we have looked at, but we do a, a ton of financing and stuff also to where a lot of times we'll leave paperwork in the car and then they can return the paperwork to the lockbox. So you have text to pay, Andy? Uh, we don't have it yet. We're again, we're looking at other processors and we're always looking at our processors. Marianne, text to pay? Yes. You yeah. Do. They can, cool. we send them a link through, either through text or email. Good. Great. Hey, uh, you had mentioned Andy, uh, in, employee engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love, you know, I love people falling things right into my lap. I think it's Monday. Kim Auerheimer has a for the record episode coming out on employee engagement. And she starts out by saying she read a Gallup poll that 70% of the workers in the U.S. aren't engaged and happy with their job. <laughs> it scares me to even think of that. Of that. And, and you talk about being smart. Was it, a, was it your own survey? Was, did you go for a service? How did that work? No, it was actually, so we're, we're an ATI uh, member. So it was, a, it was an employee engagement survey that ATI put together. Okay. Uh, that we were able to access through them. Um, I'm, I'm sure almost every coaching concern will be able to point you to, to a survey, uh, cool. to a similar survey. Hey, are you going to the super conference? Uh, I'm, I have this, this spring is a very loaded up schedule for me, so I am not going to make super conferences. I'll be there by the way. <laughs> Say hello to everybody. I will. I will. <laughs> hey, uh, gang, the biggest trend you're watching that you believe will impact your business. Well, I personally, I think I think this this entire industry is bifurcating into two two camps. It's going to be very high service, high touch, um, into you know more boutique kind of work. Well, actually, I would say three. Sorry, three camps: the uh, the high service, high touch, um, very very relationship based, the dealership, and then the uh, the chains. And, and I really, I think that the, the, the middle is kind of getting hollowed out. Um, you know, dealerships are putting in 70 bay service centers. Uh, they're now selling cars and not, and sometimes breaking even on their car sales and making all of their income on service. So, I mean, it's pretty undeniable. You go into a dealership, the physical facilities are unbelievable. Um, 
the personnel, the staffing, that kind of thing is where it always falls short with dealerships. That's our, our big opportunity as, as high quality independence. It's all our people. Um, you know, you don't need glass and steel and cappuccino machines, but you do need people who are very engaged with the client and watching out for their best interests and the best interests of their vehicle. Uh, and I, and I, I think that's, you know, for better or for worse, that is the way the industry is going because there, there's going to be with more and more technology and the larger dollars needed for investment and equipment to service that technology. There's just no other way. You're, you're going to have to be charging a premium price and providing premium service. Um, and I really don't see how the small uh, shop on the corner uh, is, is going to make it uh, going forward. You know, uh, the, sh- the shop on the corner is not going to make it, but yet you said we need to be a high touch, high service company. And that to me rings true with the neighborhood professional service center. And they may not be on the corner anymore, but they're still neighborly. Right. Uh, maybe I, I, I probably phrased that wrong, the shop on the corner. The, I'm saying the, the shop that's not investing in moving forward. I'll give you an example. Just, just for example, the, the whole ADES part, you know, space with you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in equipment being needed to do ADES work. Now, I, I personally do think that the, and, and a lot of the high-end trainers, we've had discussions with this, that I think that's, there, this, this is a transition period where um, three to five years from now, you're going to see uh, the cars with lane sensing and um, adaptive cruise control are going to be able to uh, calibrate themselves. Yeah. Uh, we, they will go to a point where you're not going to need this gigantic piece of equipment. But... Uh, that I mean that these the the scan tools the diagnostic equipment this kind of stuff the, these are going to be major investments and some and in the smaller shops that aren't looking to grow and aren't pushing forward into making those necessary investments I just don't know what uh, cars are going to be left ten years from now that they're going to be able to service and you know i'm not an expert on ADAS yet I've been to a calibration seminar I actually uh, played around with it with a Toyota. We've had shows on ADAS, the business side of ADAS. We've done a lot of stuff and we're, we're not shying away from the discussion. And I, and I agree with you on the self-calibration, but you're still going to have to have the right environment to set up all the targets to be sure, sure that this thing can self-calibrate itself. And you're still going to have to have some investment if you want to be an ADAS calibration shop, because I don't believe you're going to set a car over on the side of the road, press a button and have it calibrate itself because it's not going to know what to calibrate to from sure. or with. And sure. so, and I may not know what I'm talking about, but yeah, I don't think we should be shying away from learning what ADAS is. Even though I may not be a calibration shop, Tony, have, I don't know if you are or you're not, but have you been to an ADAS class, Tony? I've not done much uh, with that. I've done some studying and some reading on that. And, and unlike a lot of uh, shop owners, I don't come from the technician side. <laughs> so um, so I rely on my uh, people and my shop foremans yeah. and that type yeah. of stuff to really do that type of stuff for me and, and everything. And I challenge a lot of people to uh, do that that are shop owners to really think, how, how would you run your shop uh, if you were never a technician? And, and it's a question a lot of people should ask themselves uh, at different times 
because I think you would end up running things in a little bit different uh, perspective in a lot of cases. Yeah. Well, are you the visionary of the business, Tony? No, my father's the visionary. Okay. I'm the integrator. Okay, perfect. Okay, well, then he should be here. I should be asking him that ADES question. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Do me a favor, ask him and then email me. <laughs> but I, I, lo- I love what you said, Andy, you know, about high service dealerships and change as you, as you segmented the industry. Uh, you know, as you see this is a trend, Tony, a, a trend that you see. I, I see the technological side being a, a trend, yes. So that's part of the reason why we've already gone to two shops and why we're looking to go to three shops because I envision needing to buy 8S equipment and, and stuff like that. And I envision a one uh, uh, a one shop um, facility not being able to afford a lot of that type of stuff, but I can afford it if I have three shops and I buy it and have it at one location and I shuffle things to and from and I can share equipment. I've already ran into that a lot with equipment breakdown and stuff like that to where I can take equipment and share it to my other shop or vice versa. And it creates a lot of benefits that way. I can't help but think that vision's coming up right around the corner. It may be 14, 13, 14 days away. And I do know that there's an an awful lot of technicians and shop owners going there. And I believe that there's a very large share of those technicians that are there that are having their way paid there. Their hotel, their air, their their gas, whatever, they're, they're being paid. What's going on with all three of your shops as far as the investment that you're making with your technicians? So I require my guys to do 40 hours of continuing education every single year. Um, um, that's front staff, back staff, porter, I... I really don't care what position you're in. Um, we pay that out, uh, uh, in a one-time payment, uh, the week before, uh, Thanksgiving actually at our Thanksgiving dinner. So as long as you make your 40 hours, you get your, uh, payment. If you don't make your 40 hours, you don't get your pay. Um, and you can possibly lose your job. Is that a bonus based on the number of hours? Yep. Okay. So, it's like Bill Hill has. Bill Hill has it, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I stole it from Bill Hill. So thank you, Bill. So, um, but, uh, you know, we do a 50% of your base rate for like a flat rate technician. So if you're a $30 an hour guy, you're going to get a $15 an hour training bonus for however many hours you go. There's no cap on it. So but are I, you guy, paying for the training, Tony? I'm paying for the training also. So I have one gentleman uh, that for four years now has gone to a lab scope school that is uh, close in proximity to us. He drives uh, uh, two nights a month for about eight months of the year um, to a town called Fort Wayne that's about an hour and 30 minutes away. Um, Does a four-hour training class, drives home, um, and he's done that school for the last four years. And he took home an $1,100 training bonus, and I paid for the $3,000 school. So... Uh, real quick, because there's a question coming in. Andy, you paying for training? Yes. Pay pay for travel. Yes, we lodging, pay for training. A tra- tra- training and lodging. Absolutely fabulous. In fact, we're going to do a town hall academy in two weeks from Vision. This is our topic. But the topic is going to be about how can we pay for that training? Because there's a lot of, a lot of shop owners out there that says, I can't afford that. I can't afford a business coach. I can't afford to pay for training. And we're going to dig into some of the tactics as to how it can be done. Uh, thank you so much to Greg Buckley, who's been out there on Facebook. And he, he writes, can a shop stay small, focused on one or two makes models if they are totally dedicated to the specific vehicle technology? He says, here at Buckley's, we're now having collision centers utilize our Hawkeye, and we're actually doing the repairs. This is a 
Caliber Collision Center, and they are a huge aggregator and yeah, they're big and, and consolidator. They ha- have no help, and they have big volume, and that's uh, that's what investing is all about: buy quality and the, the market we respond to. And so, Greg's question basically is: Can a shop stay small, focused on a couple of makes and models? and be dedicated to the specific vehicle tech. You know, I can't help, Andy, but think you have such an advantage with the knowledge base that you have on these specific models. I mean, if anyone would say, who's the go-to guy for European in Chicago, I'm sure somewhere in the Google search, you come up and, and, and you're so good at it that price doesn't matter. I mean, there's a lot of things that don't matter to those customers. They just say, here's the keys, fix it. Well, the really interesting thing, um, my my business coach was actually recently quoted in, in a Ratchet and Wrench magazine article, and this was just a brilliant line, um, a thought that he had. He said, the dealerships around you all want to raise their labor rates, and they can't do it because you're not raising yours. <laughs> I mean... Wait a minute. I, you missed that meeting. You better do something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I can't... I'm, I'm in these Facebook groups, and these these discussions are continuing to go on about what you know what how can i raise my labor rate from 119 dollars? and it's like guys there we have to pay these technicians if you're not going to do it for yourself and you're not going to do it for your family do it for your staff and their family so that they can live a dignified life and you can pay them compensate them adequately because there's we, we are in full employment in this country you have to pay people what they're worth. And, and everybody has to realize, no, but nobody has a problem when, when the plumber comes over and says it's going to be $550 to reinstall a new toilet. You say, when can you get it done? Right? We have to put the value on what we are doing and charge appropriately. And, and I understand that different regions are different. It, it's, very, it's very variable. Hey, I am operating in one of the worst business environment states in the country. The only place worse than Illinois are California and New York. Okay. But I am not, you know, I can't shortchange my staff because Illinois doesn't know how to run their state. And they, you know, the cost of living and taxes are so high. We have to, we have to right size our shops for the environment we're in. And we have to charge appropriately for, for the services we're delivering. Yeah, Marianne, it seems like what, what, what well, it, it's what Andy said is that I don't know how to raise my labor rate. And it's like, if, if I can't raise my labor rate, I can't even fathom doing it. I obviously don't value my, me, my investment, my people, my company, my training. And it, it doesn't seem like, uh, you know, okay, you, oh, you want that for free? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think uh, to Andy's point, I I agree with everything that he said, and I see it as well in the Facebook groups. People really struggle with it. And when we talk on this type of forum here, we're being very logical and everything makes a lot of sense, right? Why aren't people doing it? Because it's not a logical decision when they're struggling with it. It's an emotional decision. And when we, we feel and we're coming from a place of emotion, we're not thinking logically, although it makes sense in theory. So a lot of times there's, you know, money, money mindset is a huge thing for people. It's really huge. So, you know, if people are thinking, well, this is really difficult, 
you know, I would have a hard time when I was younger paying this, or I could relate, or, you know, money was always an issue. They're, they're leading with their heart, but they're not thinking, how am I going to make this business sustainable? How am I going to survive and not only survive, but thrive? So there are a lot of money mindset issues. And we'd be, I think that's why a lot of times the tactics, which are all very well intended and will work, they're good. But I think a lot of times that's why they fall flat. And a lot of people have a hard time in implementing them because it really goes back to the mindset. Thank you for bringing up that whole labor rate thing, Andy. Uh, it is it is uh, something that's so important. Um, I, I, we've had a great, you know, wow, we're 48 minutes in. It's been great. Um, a lot of great comments. And let me just read one from Jim Hayes. Totally agree. We have to market away from the commodity-minded clients and get what it takes to create margins necessary to grow and stay concurrently. Full employment means we need to compensate uh, completely and provide benefit packages that set us apart for the from the next door neighbor. Um, episode 510, uh, by the way, Andy, was a, a panel I moderated in Chicago uh, this past September at ASA Illinois member meeting. And we had five different uh, episodes that came out all from that panel discussion. We had an unbelievable panel, and episode 510 was about technician pay. And, you know, we can talk about, you know, the $100,000, uh, you know, if you will, grossed up paycheck and how, you know, in all of the elements that make that level of compensation because, yes, we're going to, there is no doubt that as as fast as technology is moving, uh, we need to be able to compensate that talent that's going to be able to work on it. And it's not necessarily the cash payment. It's everything that includes the package, the culture, um, the benefit program, the shoe allowance, the, the, you know, the PTO, the time off, the health care. Um, and golly, somebody told me just the other day that he lost one of his long-term people to go to a place that had a pension, even though he had a 401k, he didn't talk enough about the word pen, 401k and the value of it to the to his person, and he left because he was going to get a pension. Good golly! So, um, I mean, maybe shame on us for not communicating that level of uh, you know, benefits that we provide. Anyway, we we lost Tony. Uh, Tadich, uh, thank you for being here. Tony, TMT Auto Care, Andy Bizup from Midwest Performance Car Chicago, and Marianne Croce from Croce's Transmissions in Norwalk, Connecticut. Thanks for the people hanging out with us on Zoom and for Greg Buckley to do all of the, the Facebook communique back with us. Didn't look like we had a lot of questions from Facebook, but we did have an awful lot of chatter here on the Zoom, uh, on the Zoom webinar platform. And of course, this thing will go back out as a video and an audio repurposed next Thursday. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.